Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue the series, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Dinner's ready. I don't have time for this. What? Blah, blah, blah. Wow. Are you kidding me? No. I told you. Yeah, stop. right. <laughs> Sorry. Do it again. Yes. Perfect. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our fifth and final week of Emotionally Healthy Relationships. The whole series is based on a book by Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. And essentially, we've anchored it all in this one text in the New Testament where Jesus was asked to sum up the whole thing. And essentially, Jesus said, love God and love others. Love God and love others with your whole self. And one of the things we've been saying is that sometimes the greatest barrier to our spiritual maturity is our emotional immaturity. So we need to grow in our love, not only for God, but for each other. In fact, I love the way Bob Goff puts it. Here's what he said. He said, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said, it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good we hoped to do someday. Nope. He said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think that there's more to it, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. I I love that idea. For the Christ follower, love is not just simply something that we act. It's a person that we're becoming. And today I want to talk about this idea of fighting cleanly. Now, I know that for a lot of us, some got really nervous and others got really excited. So either way, before we dive in, I'd love to just pray for us and then we'll jump in. So let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of right now, of today, of breath in our lungs. And I pray that these coming minutes together, God, that you would be glorified, that you would show and convict and reveal and heal the parts of us that don't honor you, that are toxic to us and others. God, give us not only ears to hear, but courage to live differently as a result, God. We thank you and we love you. And we pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Now, I I probably don't need to convince a whole lot of you that since quarantine, I think all of us are a little more on edge than we typically have been. It it seems like everyone is fighting all the time. In fact, I asked some friends just sort of some common fights that they've been experiencing since quarantine for the last four months or so. And I'd love for you to identify if you can relate to any of these. Uh, A bunch of people said they'll remove the garbage but not actually replace the garbage bag. Has anyone dealt with that fight in your house? Or how about uh, arguing for the charger? Whose phone Uh, has less battery, anyone fighting over the charger for the phone, or how about uh, accidentally eating the wrong leftovers? I've done that one multiple times. Or how about about kitchen sponge location? Never in a million years would I have thought that the location of the kitchen sponge would be something to fight about, but I think that's probably something that a lot of us can identify. How about the, uh, the ice trays? I heard this one like four or five times. My husband, my, my spouse, my wife, my roommate either overfills or underfills the ice tray. Can anyone, can anyone relate to that one? How about the temperature of the house? Arguing over one or two degrees. And that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I think we all can agree, though, that this is a fight that maybe all of us have had at some point in our lives. Can anyone relate? I, I, in fact, I'd love 
just if you type in the comment section, uh, who is team over? Team over? Okay, now who, who is team under? All right, so the people that are, are typing team under in the comment section right now, um, pray for these people. I don't, we, they need our help. Te- team over all the way. But I, I think especially now, fighting almost just feels like it's in the air. Like we've all struggled to fight and to fight cleanly. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting is that we like fighting when it's on TV or in a movie, right? Like, like it's almost funny. In fact, it often is funny. Think about classic sitcom fights. Like, oh, there's a, there's a misunderstanding at the barbecue. Or maybe there's an argument over directions. Or maybe somebody pulled a hilarious prank at the office. Like, in, in TV, we find it hilarious, but, man, in real life, it's, it's not quite as funny. Maybe it's a political argument on Facebook that went sour real fast. Maybe it's a parent's divorce that left the family in shambles. Maybe it's, maybe it's silent treatment between you and your spouse, and the silent treatment it actually feels more like shouting. There's a book called Crucial Conversations, and what they found about conflict and how we avoid it, I thought was fascinating. They said that 95% of a company's workforce struggles to speak up to their colleagues. 95%. So if you struggle with this idea of engaging in conflict, fighting cleanly, you're you're not alone. In fact, they found that employees waste an average of $1,500 and an eight-hour workday by avoiding conversations, by just not going there. So the goal can't just simply be to not go there. In fact, in the book of Matthew, Jesus gives this really important charge where he says, if you're at the temple, if you're there at your place of worship and you remember that a friend of yours has a grudge against you, leave your offering there. Go be reconciled to your friend. Go take care of that. Jesus seems to think this is such a big idea. He says, leave it there and go deal with the conflict. Go deal with the issue. Scripture is filled with these types of passages that cut right to the heart of what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. But I think conflicts, especially unresolved conflicts, are are one of the greatest tensions in our lives. So I want to talk about it. Now, a brief disclaimer. uh, What I'm talking about is like everyday conflict. If, If you're in a situation where you're in danger, you fear for your life, You need to call the authorities. You need to bring professional mentors or pastors or counselors into that situation. What I'm talking about is just sort of the everyday conflict that we all experience. So how do we actually get better at that? How do we actually grow in our ability to fight cleanly? Well, I think it's probably important to ask, how did your family deal with conflict? How did your family communicate? I remember I was probably only two or three weeks into dating my now wife, Katie, And I thought, this would be a fun chance to bring her home to see the family. My family lives outside Detroit. And I didn't really realize how intimidating my family can be to someone who wasn't prepped. So we walk into the house, and believe it or not, I'm not even in the top three loudest people in my family. Like, it's just a beautiful cacophony of, like, yelling and laughing and shouting and sarcasm. So we popped in for a second, and then we went to the car to go get lunch. And my wife goes, what was that all about? And I was like, what was what all about? She goes, that whole scene. And I was like, we just call that Tuesday. Like, like for me, it was just a, a regular normal interaction. But for her, it was like, 
you guys seemed furious at each other. We weren't, we weren't mad. We were just, as we would say, communicating efficiently. So how, how did your family communicate? How did your family deal with conflict? Because, well, conflict is inevitable. And how we actually deal with it, I think, is an, a massively important question. How we respond to conflict is critical. Now, you may not be aware of this, but we, we actually have options. We have options in how we deal with conflict. Uh, the conflict choice, number one, I'm going to call false peace. I think a lot of people choose false peace probably unknowingly. Like, it's not even necessarily a conscious decision, and they're wanting to, like, make people happy. I love what the prophet Jeremiah, by the way, says about this idea. It says, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. In fact, that word heal there is this idea of, like, a, a bandage on a wound saying, you didn't take this issue, this wound, seriously. A lot of people are living with this kind of tension where we just all say peace, peace, but if you're actually paying attention, if you, if you know the heart of the matter, you know that there's not actually peace there. True peace doesn't come from pretending. In fact, Jesus himself, in probably the most famous sermon he gave, says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, there, there's an important distinction here. He, he didn't say peacekeepers. Peacekeepers I think typically have their heart in the right place and they just, they don't want to rock the boat. They want everyone to be happy, everyone to get along, everyone have a good time. But Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He didn't, he didn't shrink back. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who build bridges, who do the hard work, who have the critical conversations, even and especially when everything in you wants to run or everything in you wants to fight, fight dirty. This idea of, of entering into the brokenness of what we all bring to the table is absolutely essential. And Jesus didn't avoid it. He addressed issues head on. He dealt with conflict with the crowds, with religious people, and even with his close friends. In fact, there's one interaction where Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, just couldn't accept Jesus' plan to die and be raised again. In fact, here's what it says in Matthew 16. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, which, just as a rule of thumb, rebuking Jesus is probably not a great idea. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can you imagine being in the room when that exchange happened? See, a lot of us have this idea of Jesus that he's just got this perfect white robe and this Vidal Sassoon hair, and he just sort of walked around hugging everybody, but he, he dealt with issues head on. He didn't shrink back from it. He dealt with conflict directly. In fact, I love what Pete Scazzaro says about this idea of, of peacemaking. He says, true peacemakers love God, others, and themselves enough to disrupt false peace. You can't have the true peace of Christ's kingdom with lies and pretense. They must be exposed to the light and replaced with the truth. This is the nature, this is the mature, loving thing to do. This idea that loving God, loving others, we often miss this love others as ourselves component. What he's saying is true, true peace isn't just pretending that things are fine when they're not. It's having the willingness to go to the heart of the matter. Now, the second conflict choice we have is to fight dirty. I think we can all choose false peace, but a lot of us probably also struggle with dirty fighting. In fact, uh, John Gottman, who is sort of like the leading expert on marriage and relationships, he said this, that 94% of the time the way a discussion starts will determine the way it will end. 
94% of the time, how you begin the discussion, how you enter into the conflict will determine how it will end. So do you ever fight dirty? Do you personally ever fight dirty? Now, before you answer that, uh, I want to actually show you some dirty fighting techniques. And here's the challenge. I want you to be really honest with yourself. I want you to lower your guard and, and just hear these honestly. And, to hear, and here to help us with these dirty fighting techniques are Alec and Carrie Bramlett. Hey, guys. Oh, all right, well. Uh, now, before we get going here, a quick disclaimer. Um, Alec and Carrie are both real people and real actors, but they're also a real couple, and they're going to help me demonstrate today some of the ways that we tend to fight dirty. So I'm going to start first with denying. Anyone, anyone guilty of denying? Like, he, he might say something like, I don't deny, I would, I would never deny, and then she might reply with, well, don't look at me. For a fact, I've, I've never been in denial, for sure. Or how, how about this one? How about sarcasm? Maybe, maybe you say, oh, yeah, that's a great approach to conflict. I mean, that's not outlandish at all to think that being sarcastic would help. What about, what about the silent treatment? Anyone ever take that particular approach to conflict? Or what about just straight up walking away? This is a variation on the silent treatment, but includes the physical absence along with the verbal absence. And anyone guilty of just walking away? Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need him back. We, we still have a few more to do. Um. Okay, how about, how about shouting? I said, how about shouting? Is anyone guilty of using this dirty fighting technique? I mean, do you honestly think that you can resolve conflict by just simply cranking up the volume a little bit? Or how about using always or never? This is a very common dirty fighting technique, by the way, and it never works. And you can always, always, always count on that. Now, this last one, this last one I'm sure no one would admit to ever actually using in a fight. In fact, you know what? I'm not even going to tell you. I don't even think that you want to know, do you? It doesn't matter. I'm sure, I'm sure you don't care. Okay, all right, okay, okay, I'll tell you. It's being passive-aggressive, yeesh, you're in a bad mood. Okay, now, be really honest with yourself. Do you, do you struggle with any of these? In fact, if you're bold enough, which one is sort of your go-to? If you want to comment that below, what is, what is your go-to dirty fighting technique? The, the first step at getting better is, this, is we have to recognize our go-to techniques. I, I love what Paul said in Ephesians 4. He says, speak the truth in love. He's saying we have to speak truth to each other, but it, it needs to be encased in love. We need to do it like Jesus would do it. Speaking the truth, but speaking it in love. Now, to be honest, from this list, for me, I've struggled with all of them. The one that's probably the go-to for me is walking away. And in my head, I often justify walking away because it, it keeps me from saying things that I, I don't want to say, and I can justify that behavior. And to be honest, our, our therapist has been incredibly helpful in helping me unpack what's really going on there, the motivations behind my walking away. But what's your go-to? 
Because ultimately, what we need to do is conflict choice number three. We need to fight cleanly. And this might sound like an oxymoron to fight cleanly, but again, I love what Pete and Jerry Scazzaro said. He said, a clean fight is a negotiation between two people for the sake of their relationship. That's absolutely critical to remember, that when we're fighting, we're fighting for the sake of the relationship. In fact, I think it's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote to the church in Rome. Here's what he said. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, right? That's dirty fighting. It says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's just a good rule of thumb in general. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love that. Paul says, if it is possible. He's recognizing it's not always going to be possible. There's going to be times where you need to just maybe end the relationship. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Sometimes it's not going to be possible. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be a people of peace. Not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. So, so what does it actually look like to fight cleanly? Maybe at this point you're like, well, this is, this is a great notion, but how, how does that actually live out in my world? How do I actually live this truth? How do I fight cleanly? Well, several years ago, uh, we actually here at Community were certified the best Christian workplace by the Best Christian Workplace Institute. And what they do, it's like an in-depth study, a survey of employees, and they make this massive assessment on the culture of a workplace. And they offer not only strengths, but also weaknesses. And one of the weaknesses that showed up a couple of times for us is how we handle conflict. So back in February of this year, which feels like forever ago, doesn't it? We had uh, Patrick Lencioni's group, the table group, come in, and we conducted a one-day staff workshop to try and better understand how, how can we resolve conflict better as an organization, as a community, as a church? How can we fight cleanly? And one of, one of our goals was to establish some conflict norms. So if you're the note-taking type, by the way, this would be a great chance to go get a pen and paper because these, these I think, are absolutely transformative. So as a staff, we began with this statement right here. To be a healthy staff team, we will create space for conflict in order to protect unity and further the mission. When conflict arises, we will. So this is sort of the umbrella statement. And then these are our seven commitments to establish as conflict norms as a church. And the first is to pray. This maybe seems like an obvious place to start, but I think this piece often gets missed. Think of the last bad fight that you had. Did you think to pray before you engaged in that conflict, engaged in that debate on Facebook with a spouse or with a loved one? And this isn't just simply about, oh God, help them see how wrong they are. No, it's, it's, it's also a bit of a gut check. It's saying, God, would, would you reveal the parts of my heart that even if I'm right, are, are out of line with what you have for me? God, reveal to me motives that might be wrong, even if my conclusion isn't. So we committed first to pray. The second is assuming the best. This is so important. It's so critical. I think it's easy to demonize the person we disagree with, right? I mean, hop on any social media platform right now, by the way. It's so easy to point out there. It's always this us versus them. It's easy to demonize the person or the people that we disagree with or we have conflict with, and we'll often recite over and over again all of their character flaws. In fact, we, we sort of make grooves in our brain that only really associates that person with the negativity that we keep reciting over and over again. And this one is saying, I'm not gonna go down that path. I'm not gonna go down that path. 
I'm going to assume the best. Third, talk to each other, not about each other. Talk to each other, not about each other. This one is so important. In fact, I love what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If you have an issue with somebody, go talk to them. It's so, it's so easy. It's so enticing. This idea of gossip. Don't, don't mistake gossip for bonding. If someone is talking about someone to you, they're probably doing the same about you to somebody else. Don't, don't talk about people. Talk to them. Approach them. It's difficult, but it's necessary. Number four, uh, everyone speaks. The idea here is that both the speaker and the listener is intentional about creating space for everyone to have a chance to weigh in. And I know that this is frightening for a lot of people, but it's so important that we actually create space where everyone is heard. Everyone gets a chance to raise a hand, to speak up, to share their heart. Number six, argue like you're right, listen like you're wrong. This one might be my favorite. In fact, I might even switch the order of those, but argue like you're right, but listen like you're wrong. And again, I think James has good wisdom for us here. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The, the point here isn't that we all just sort of like kumbaya and sort of lowest common denominator every conversation. Some, sometimes you will be right and, and you need to speak up. Argue like you're right, but then listen like you're wrong. Assume a posture that says, man, I, I might be missing something here. There might be a part of their narrative or their story, or their context that I hadn't considered yet. Argue like you're right, listen like you're wrong. And then number seven, commit to clarity and closure. Commit to clarity and closure. This might not come as a shock to anybody, but a lot of these types of conflicts require more than just one conversation. In fact, you might have an initial conversation and you might need to follow up. You might need to repeat back. You might need to say, hey, why don't we hit pause and I'll talk to you next week. But this idea of clarity and closure means checking in with that person several times to see not only if the conflict has been resolved, but to see how the person is doing. I think that's absolutely critical that we commit to clarity and closure. So what I would love to know is which one of these would be helpful for you? Which one of these conflict norms would be a game changer for you? Don't don't commit to all seven of them, but pick two of them. In fact, if you want to comment below, which one really stood out to you? Which one kind of leapt off the screen is like, man, that would be a game changer in my marriage, in my relationships with my coworkers. Pick two to really hone in on, to ask God to help you grow and just pick two of them because conflict plus love equals growth. Conflict plus love equals growth. That's how we grow. That's how we mature, not by false peace, not by like dirty fighting tactics where we, you know, we use sarcasm or we walk away or the silent treatment, whatever ones we are prone to. That's not how we grow. And it's not how we love people. It's not how we make God known in the world. We make God known in the world by having difficult conversations, by not running from conflict, but asking the Spirit of God, would you empower this conversation? Because ultimately, and here's the reality that I want to kind of land on, our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the issue. People are image bearers. People can create issues. But there's a battle going on, and the Word of God tells us that's the real battleground. In fact, I love what Paul tells the church in Ephesus. Here's how he put it. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's saying, keep your eye on the reality of what's really going on. If we're to love people well, if we're to grow in our love for God and our love for others, we have to be willing to have tough conversations. But there's a right way to do it. In fact, in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together as a family in unity, as a family. And at the table, we remember that it's not for the worthy, it's for the hungry. We don't come to the communion table with how right I am or how good my argument was. We, we say, Lord, when I could do nothing to earn or deserve your favor or affection, you came after me. You pursue me day after day. And with that vision of love in our minds, we then love the world. And we have tough conversations. And we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, remind us again every day how loved we are by you, God. How precious we are to you. And just how precious every other person we interact with is, God. Remind us that we've never met a person who wasn't an image bearer. God, help us to bring that into our conflicts, into our arguments. Help us to be a people that make you known by how we love one another. We thank you, God, and we love you. We pray all these things in the healing and powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said.